Welcome back to our Hebrews Bible study bonus on the topic of faith, where due to some work schedule concerns, my hope for the house churches and for everybody that uses Very Lutheran Project resources, that we'll take a couple weeks discussing, defining, and meditating on the topic of faith. This way we can have a good understanding of what the author of Hebrews is saying when we spend week after week discussing Hebrews chapter 11. Now to help me, because I am extremely strapped for time, I have recruited the venerable Dr. Martin Luther to help us out with his words on the topic of faith. In part one, Luther discusses the definition of faith as a confident assurance on the word of the Lord that we will stake our lives in. Particularly the capital W word, the Logos, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again for our justification. So if we had a real living faith, of course, that's going to produce good works and it's going to clean up our lives. That's how faith works. It's not a hollow faith or just a mental ascent to the facts of the gospel in history. But more importantly, that means that faith with the word of God, these two stand alone as that which makes a Christian. But there's a few warnings we have to keep in mind. There are decoys and devils and details and everything that we have to bring up. Here's what Dr. Luther says about these. Now when the devil saw God building his holy church, he took no holiday, but built his chapel next door, larger than God's church. And this is how he did it. He saw that God took outward things, baptism, word, sacrament, keys, and made his church holy through these means. Since he is always aping God and trying to imitate and improve everything God does, he too took outward things that were to be means to holiness. Bells are to drive away the devils in storms. St. Anthony's knives stab the devil. The blessing of herbs drives away poisonous worms. Certain blessings heal cows, ward off milk thieves, put out fires. Certain writings give security in war and at other times against iron, fire, water, wild beasts, etc. Monastic life, masses, and the like offer a more than ordinary salvation. Who can tell it all? Why no need was so trifling that the devil did not institute a sacrament or a sacred charm for it, whereby one may find aid and help against it. Besides, he has also had prophets, seers, and wise men who have been able to reveal secret things and restore stolen goods. Oh, he is equipped far more than God with sacraments, prophets, apostles, evangelists, and his chapels are far larger than God's church. And he also has far more people devoted to his holiness than God has. Moreover, people believe more easily and more gladly in his promises, in his sacraments, in his prophets, than in Christ's. He is the great lowercase g God of the world, 
Christ calls him Prince of the World in John 12, 31, and Paul speaks of him as the quote-unquote God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. What is Dr. Luther getting at? Well, the idea is the devil will try to set up decoys for your faith. You become a Christian. Wonderful. Then you look at the Hall of Faith in the book of Hebrews and you go, yes, I want to be like these great men and women. And then the devil says, oh, but here I have uh, a tassel, a magic tassel blessed by a priest for you to hold forever. And that means you're going to heaven. If you believe something like that, is your faith on Christ? Is your faith on your Savior who died for you and bled for you? Absolutely not at that point. You're trusting in your little magic tassel, your little talisman that you're holding. We need to be aware that there will always be an attempt to get us to place our faith in something or someone else than Christ. Or to try to add things to our faith. Oh, I trust in Jesus and my works for salvation. Oh, by all means, I trust in Jesus for my salvation, but also I trust in this saint and that saint and the mother of God and the priests who pray for me and the monastic life, etc. and so forth. The thing about salvation is it is in Christ alone. We are saved by Christ alone through faith in Christ alone. Sola fides in solo Cristo. You cannot have faith alone without Christ alone. Continuing on then, we understand that we need to be careful. He says, Although you do bear the great names of Christian and child of God, you dare not imagine that he will spare you even though you live without the fear of God and think it protection enough to glory in the name Christian. To be sure, the world judges according to the person, for she does not punish all alike, but spares those who are friendly, wealthy, beautiful, learned, wise, and powerful. But God looks at none of this. It is all alike to him, no matter how great the person may be. Thus he struck dead the son of King Pharaoh in Egypt, as well as the son of the poor miller. Therefore the apostle would have us expect such judgment from God, and would have us stand in fear that we may not thus presumptuously glory in the title of Christian, and rely on it as though, because of it, he would make greater concessions to us than to other people. For in former times this notion deceived the Jews, who boasted that they were Abraham's seed and God's people. Scripture does not differentiate according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It is true God had promised that Christ would be born of Abraham's line, and that a holy people would descend from him. But it does not follow from this that all who are born of Abraham are children of God. He has also promised that the Gentiles should be saved, but he has not said that he would save all Gentiles. In other words, we cannot rest on our laurels by saying, I am a Christian, therefore I can do anything I want. I can live how I want. I don't have to actually believe in anything. 
oh yeah, I, I said the sinner's prayer and I got baptized at a Billy Graham concert. There we go. I can just tell people I'm a Christian, even if I'm doing black magic or visiting hookers or gambling on the regular or getting drunk every night, etc. and so forth. All of that stuff is an ugly piece of evidence that you're not what you say you are when you call yourself a Christian. And it doesn't matter how you look outwardly to the world. What matters is your inward, true faith in our Lord Christ. And that is why, even though it is active, and we do love God above all, and we do love our neighbors as ourselves because God has granted us faith, it is still a personal matter, as Luther writes. This is the fruit of his passion. He justifies and saves from death and sin and frees from the power of the devil. Such is the office of this servant. He is to serve us in his passion. How are we justified? How and in what way do we come by the fruit and the purpose of this work? In no other way and manner than by its soul or the knowledge of it. Thus Peter explains it, and correctly so, grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. This knowledge is faith itself, not only a historical faith or mental assent, which the devil also has and with which he confesses God as the heretics do too. It is rather a knowledge which rests on experience and faith. This word, knowing, means as much as Adam knew his wife, Genesis 4.1. That is, he knew her by the sense of feeling. He found her to be his wife, not in a speculative or historical way, but by experience. A merely historical faith, or mental assent, does not act in this way. It does not add the experience of feeling and the knowledge that is a personal experience. To be sure, it says, I believe that Christ died and that he did so also for me. But it does not come to this personal feeling, this experimental knowledge. So what's Dr. Luther saying here? Well, first, we do need to avoid the decoys out there, false objects of our faith. And second, we need to understand that we cannot have a hollow faith that just says, I'm a Christian, therefore now do whatever, no biggie everything's fine, I can just say I'm a Christian and get away with that and then go to heaven. But in addition to that, our faith is not just a feeling, not just an experience. We don't embrace Karl Barth's crisis theology, but it is a real thing in us that says, I know this Christ. I have a relationship with him. Not a marital relationship like Adam and Eve. Luther is comparing it to that to say, this is who he is in relation to me. He is my savior and I in relation to him and his worshiper, his servant, a believer of him. Faith says, yes, this is my relationship to my Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that faith that informs the saints that we are going to discuss when we start going over Hebrews chapter 11. And I will see you when I start that up. I do apologize for the delay, but we will get into it with gusto. Amen and amen.